Welcome to the TRI Research Group podcast, the latest in palliative care and end-of-life research. Welcome. Today we've got Dr. Tess Moeki maxwell who is a very dear colleague and research fellow at the School of Nursing. Welcome, Tess. Lovely to be here. Thank you for uh, making the time to come and tell us about one of your most recent projects that you're working on, the Rapua Te Marama project. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you're up to and what you've been sure. doing? Sure. Well, most of us will have etched on our memories 2020 mm. because of the COVID pandemic and the lockdown restrictions that were imposed upon us all. Um, for our own safety. And during that period of time, I had a little mokopuna that was born and died. And it was such a difficult time. As you know, we were in bubbles. And to some extent, they were artificial, I guess, configurations of whānau compositions made up of whānau friends. Some people's bubbles were 30, mm. some might have been 20. But for some whānau like my, myself and my partner, we just live on our own. My daughter was living with her partner and their son. So our, our whānau joined together to form a bubble during that period of time. And during that time, my daughter gave birth to a baby. We knew she was going to potentially have significant heart uh, issues. She was diagnosed at six months gestation with cardiomyopathy, restrictive cardiomyopathy. And... We anticipated that she may not live long after birth, perhaps weeks or months. And what transpired was she actually was born and died uh, 10 days into level four lockdown. And it was such a difficult time for us that I was in contact with our kahui kaumatua for Tauri. I was in contact with my colleagues. And uh, I was also in contact with a, another colleague who helped me understand and interpret the tangihana policies. It seemed that the policies at that time were changing quite frequently. Very fast. Mm. There were different variations. Every day. Going, going around, uh, coming through on email and whatnot. And so it became important for me to really have an understanding of what our obligations were as a whānau in terms of conducting our end-of-life and death care, post-death care, um, tikanga, our protocols, within the confines or the configurations of the policies that prevailed at that time. And it was not an easy thing to do. It was incredibly difficult. And so after our baby had been buried, I had a hui with the Te Araikaumatua and our team, uh, and also Professor Merrin Gott, who was very supportive, and our dear Matua Rawi Faremati, who passed away very recently. And it was decided that we would apply for a grant to see how other whānau were faring during lockdown, particularly those whānau who had someone with a palliative condition that they were caring for, and where that person died, be it at home, in a hospital setting, residential care, or a hospice setting. And so we applied to the Health Research Council because they uh, offered a COVID grant at that time. We were successful. I'm really pleased that they acknowledged the previous work we've done with the Paiheringa study. And in that particular study, which is coming to a close, although publications are still being written at the moment, 
During that study, we investigated the traditional end-of-life care customs of Fano. So we interviewed families who felt as though they had something to share with other families who perhaps had lost their Makauranga Māori, their knowledge of their caregiving tikanga, their customs and colour, those things that um, would guide them through their ceremonial um, endeavours. And we also interviewed in the Paiatina study Kromua healers or practitioners, Tohunga, um, those are the people with spiritual expertise and also health professionals, Māori health professionals. And the Health Research Council wanted to have a project undertaken quite quickly. They wanted people or teams to leverage off the work that had previously been done, the relationships with community, teams already had, and they had some background knowledge of the palliative care terrain or the terrain that was being investigated. And so we were fortunate in the TRI team. As you know, we have people with multiple skills. We also work with Professor Linda Nikura, who works for Ngāpāiwata at the University of Auckland. And of course, we have Professor Marin Bolt, who is our lead as well. And with the Rāpāiwata Marama project, we knew that we couldn't use digital stories in the way that we did with the Paihiringa project because we couldn't risk going into lockdown and digital story workshops previously, when we've conducted them, have required Fano to give up three days of their time to make one of those stories. And my dear colleague, Dr. Lisa Williams, Professors Shuchi Kothari and Serena Pearson and Peter Simpson have been very supportive in running those workshops. But that wasn't going to be an option with this study. And that was because we could potentially at any time go into lockdown. And so what we decided to do uh, with the support, as I said, um, of Lisa Williams and also another colleague um, of ours, Dr. Tatiana Tavares, we brought together at this idea of having uh, interviews with Fano and then bringing in a local photographer, preferably Māori, where we could find them, to take a portrait of the Fano. And next year, in 2022, we're going to have exhibitions from Kaikohe right down to Bluff, where we will share 25 portraits and stories from Fano who experienced death and bereavement during lockdown. Mm. In fact, there will be, I think, about 22 whānau that cared for someone who had a palliative condition or were involved with someone who died during that time. There are two whānau that experienced suicides and they have generously stepped forward to share their story about what that was like. How do you conduct tangihana? during mm. that mm. kind of time um, for a suicide. And also somebody's whānau um, uh, where someone died through an accidental death and so, bang, straight away they're in lockdown and so people are at home grieving on their own. Mm. How does that whānau cope? So who have you, who have you interviewed? For this Rāpua Tamarua? Family, family. Mm -hmm. We've interviewed... Um, 
there'll be 25 Bano that are interviewed. Mm -hmm. There will be 14 funeral directors. Wow. And there will also be, I think, um, 25 health, Māori health professionals across what's turned out to be eight different sites, including mm -hmm. Aotea, Great Barrier Island. That's amazing. Really interested as you were talking, I was just writing a few things down, this convergence between your personal experience um, with your mokapuna and your experience of the Paiharanga project. It seemed like this convergence of those two things as a researcher and as a, as a grandmother have come together to do this piece of work. Do you, How do you think that's going to enhance the way in which you do the Rapua Te Marama project? Because you're coming with some insight. I think that we all have a set of gifts and a set of skills in our life. For some of us, those skills are formal. Mm. Um, we have educational qualifications and perhaps like us, we have research experience and I'm a qualitative researcher. And I think when we come with that set of mātauranga or that set of knowledge, it's, it's about sharing it. It's about using it and sharing it to help others. It's never just about an individual or a whānau. It's about all of us because we're all connected. And so it was only natural when I had the experience that I had and my whānau had with our mokopuna, tēmana ora, that we used that experience to reach out to other whānau and say to them, you know, what is it you have to say about your experience? And more importantly, as the name Rākua Tamarama reflects, uh, what can you bring to help other people? What things helped you? What did you do? What did your neighbours do? What did Fano further afield do? Uh, did you use the social media networks to help you? Did funeral directors help you? How did they do that? Did health professionals adapt the policy guidelines? Because they are guidelines, um, but also they were pretty much set in concrete at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess that's what I think. It's just a natural part of this. I have to say that if it wasn't for my mokopuna dying during COVID lockdown, I wouldn't be doing this study. For me, it's a really a restricted area. Um, there, there's a certain ngangara or a certain energy that goes with the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. It feels very restrictive. But through my own experience, it felt like a door was burst open, busted open in some ways, and it meant that I could not walk away from it. It meant that it was my responsibility to, to try and help in some way, and I certainly had that support reflected from the TRI research team and our Kahui Komatu. So that's why mm. I think so, I'm doing it. Yeah, and um, I know you're still collecting data, Nearly finished. Nearly finished. Wow, it's a big piece of work. And you get out in the field and do all that data collection yourself? Yes, and there are a few sites that our colleague Kat Mason yeah. is joining me on. And because Kat has lived in the Mochueka region mm. and has good contacts down there, we refer to that as her research site in terms of uh, cats leading out the interviews in that region mm. and um, I act as her research assistant. 
But with this particular project or any project, I believe that's concerning Māori and end of life, there is a restriction around it, a wairua or a spiritual restriction around it. And I feel that not only have I been mandated by the Kahui Komatua, so those are people like Rauli Haremati and Bill Hansen, Walter Thompson, Joan Aden, Andy Peters, Donna Kerridge has also been part of our group, Divian Hall, um, Tilly Paikaka. There have been a number of Komatua that have mandated me to, to lead these projects, these end-of-life projects, and that's a role I take very seriously. But more importantly, I work with Wairua, so if I feel as though something's correct, then I proceed and I do it. And leading the Rahua to Marama study, also leading Pahiringa, it just is correct. Mm. So I need to complete the work. Any insights that you can share with us around the data? It's probably a bit of an unfair question because... But just in terms of your, your sense of what you're finding? Well, I think we have nearly conducted perhaps, I think, about 53 interviews now out of 60. So I probably have a sense of uh, some of the things that are emerging that Fano are talking about and funeral directors and Māori health professionals. I think the first thing I want to say is that Fano are undoubtedly aromoa whānau are healing, and so the restrictions that were placed around whānau being together at that time caused a huge mamai, uh, just huge, hugely deep emotional pain. And the next point running alongside that would be, and this is a question, was a lot of that avoidable because these were deaths uh, due to palliative care, mm. uh, sorry, palliative issues, mm. where care was being provided predominantly by whānau or accidental death or suicide. So I guess there's that sense from whānau that the restrictions were applicable to whānau where somebody had a COVID condition but they were not applicable to whānau who had a palliative condition. Mm. And so everyone kind of got lumped in with the same policies and were unnecessarily perhaps separated from each other. And given that that's our, our spiritual um, tikanga is really, really important, that's the backbone, but whānau provide the connect the connectivity, the physicality, the love, um, the support, the resources, Fano being together is a lot. It is a healing force. Such important work. Such important work. Thank you, Tess, for sharing that with us today. We do finish with a little question that <laughs> you're looking a little hmm, now what you're going to ask me. <laughs> little question of everybody who um spend some time with us doing podcasts and I wonder if you could share with us if you had 24 hours left of your life what would be the one thing that you would prioritize over anything else because um, we all talk about happiness <laughs> don't we but I just you know it's interesting you asked for this um two weeks ago I had a 
an end-of-world nightmare. Mm. It felt very, very real. And I could see water bursting out of a mountain and everything was breaking up. So it was like there'd been some earthquake or something major had happened. And my impulse was to get my telephone and to ring my three children and to say to them, I love you. I know you'll be okay. And I want you to know we will be okay. And that speaks to a higher spiritual understanding of the impermanence of life and wanting to release my whānau from feeling any sense of, oh, how is mum? How is mum? How, how is mum and Yeti doing? Are they all right? And clambering to get to us. Yeah. I wanted to lift that off them and remind them, I love you and I know you'll be all right and we'll be all right. Sure. Thanks, Tess. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like to know more about TRI, please go to our website. The link is in the description.